So I'm sure you're familiar with the old trope of for the sake of civility, keeping things nice, especially at things like the Thanksgiving table, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't discuss religion or politics, right? Or sex. Right. Okay. Well, we're we're gonna get to we're gonna get to all three this week. Maybe we'll see. I don't know if we're gonna get to the sex part, but (laughs) definitely wanted to um throw a religion sort of question at you. What's your relationship? with it you've talked a little bit on triloquy about your musical experiences at uh, a local unitarian church and Mm -hmm. you know but just in in general how do you feel about religion as a thing um i i know that a lot of people get a lot from it i i personally do not yeah and um i've 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 not witnessed a miracle i've not felt that presence while in a church or anything like that. I mean, I respond to more the way the people, the, the parishioners are. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I have too many questions, mm-hmm. too many questions. Yeah. I've spent a lot of my life in the church, of course, and I've spent many of my years very critical of religion as a concept. But after coming back from this um, Buddhist conference, just thinking about the way that my life has been, transformed and sustained through my practice of Nietzsche and Buddhism and chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. I just can't, I, I, my, my whole perspective on it is different. And I know, you know, different people have different opinions and experiences and, and all of that's fine. But, you know, not only has, uh, has experiences like those just manifested and helped me think about my life, but in some real life experiences, and I'm going to uh, uh, perform even performance experiences. I'm, I'm actually going to talk a little bit uh, about that in the second movement this week. Uh, but to get us started, <laughs> I wanted to share a tune that I've been thinking a lot about over the weekend and today as I think about the weekend that I had um, really um, immersed in uh, people willing to dive in and think about intentional happiness and changing the world and ultimately honoring humanity. That's really mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the one of the just core foundational tenets of Buddhism is just uh, profound humanism, really um, loving your fellow individual. Um, and there's a, a tune off of Rick and Morty <laughs> that I've always loved ever since I saw uh, the episode that included this tune. But after coming from uh, the conference, the uh, uh, Practice in Buddhism as People of African Descent Conference uh, down in Florida, um, hosted by uh, the Soka Gakkai, the SGI, I, I've, this song has been on my spirit. And I, I wanted to share a little bit of it with everyone today, just in case I've never shared it here on Trilloquy before. Well, I was hatched from an egg laid by some guy Cause that is Glorzo's way And then it came time to lay my own egg and die But Summer, she said, hey Glorzo wants you to stay God, if we're only making eggs, are we ever making Glorzo free? I know that there are a lot of people who don't know the context of that, but <laughs> it's basic, basically all, all, all you need to understand is that in the story of that episode, there's a character, Summer, who encourages these aliens to think about themselves as individuals. And in thinking about yourself as an individual and honoring your own life, you're honoring your entire 
race of beings. Mm. Glory to Glorzo mm-hmm. is glory to me. Mm. Um, not to mention, you know, and I can get really woo-woo about that, and and hopefully folks are understanding where I'm going, the connection but uh, in Buddhism, you know, dealing with honoring humanity, honor the Buddha nature of every person, and honoring yourself as a part of that oneness, and how honoring other people is honoring you. And you can't honor yourself if you aren't honoring all of humanity, because you are uh, a part of that. So, you know, I feel like in a, a weird way, maybe uh, a lighthearted way, that song speaks to that. And and let's just face it, the the, the vocals. I mean, they should do a musical. I love it. They should do a musical. <laughs> the Rick and Morty musical? Well, it doesn't have to yeah, be. I, I think it could work. You know, the, the guys from South Park did it. Mm-hmm. You know, with what, Team America or whatever that was? Sure, sure, yeah. I'm not saying that it has to be, you know, puppets. And I mean, and, and and you know the lyric the lyrics are if we're only making eggs are we ever making glorzo free if we're so caught up in our everyday lives of working and being stressed about Man, our assignments and something. our tasks you I mean I didn't say something. they you know Rick Harmon them said right. something yeah. you know shout out to shout out to Rick and Morty glory to glorzo is glory to me mm. that that that's I've, that's been on my spirit and I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat that a few times before I I get to bed. Uh, tonight, because it's a a really fun way for me to transition back into this real world after, you know, being safe and protected, and you know, sure. th- this these hot, humid Everglades where just lizards run around everywhere. <laughs> I must have been in high life condition because yeah. a different me would have been running and screaming a lot of the time. See now, now you're <laughs> now you're making me think that um, for a while there, I guess you could say, you know, when I would go on. Uh, backpacking trips mm-hmm. with my friends. Those that was um, for me. That was going to church. Mm-hmm. You know, that was me trying to go and get saved somehow. You would not like it. There were bugs and animals all over the place. You would not have enjoyed it. Mm. But it makes me and you know trying to think about uh, serving both, uh, giving you know uh, honoring somebody else and honoring yourself. It reminds me of a trip that I took to Crested Butte, Colorado, the first time I did serious mountain biking and the first road trip that I had with my buddy, Eric. Mm -hmm. And we were both trying to get distance from Omaha because he had, he was questioning his, if his marriage was right and he had a kid coming. Yeah. And I was just out of a three year relationship and scared, let's be honest, scared to be by myself. Sure. And so we were both running from the problem and isn't it weird how you get out away from technology and under the stars you realize that what you were running from is exactly where you wanted to be and for him he wanted to go back and be there for his wife and this new baby he realized mm-hmm. that this was what he wanted and for me i did some of the best writing that i've i've ever done and they're like wow that you know this is something that i can do and I do exist outside of a relationship. I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go back home and get about the business of redefining me. Yeah. Some, sometimes you have to get away to refresh that dedication to self or yeah. that perspective on your life, as, as you were just saying, not being defined by a relationship or by uh, something someone said at the uh, conference this past weekend, not being defined by your grades in school, you know, mm. your self-worth being, being tied to that. When you talk about your Crested Butte, trips are there is there any would y'all listen to music on the hikes i guess you want to listen to nature and that's what you're well doing. this is a let me uh, let me go in the way back machine we used to burn cds <laughs> that we that, would, is, that we know. were listening to yeah and then at the end of the trip you know we just swapped cds and you had this great new playlist yeah and 
Um, one of the tracks that both of us identified with for different reasons is called Babylon by David Gray. We were both hearing the same song, but in different ways and identifying with it anew. For example, if you want it, come and get it for crying out loud. He was hearing his wife. The love that I was giving you was never in doubt. I felt like I gave what the, my best to that relationship. So there was a rebuilding, a renewal that happened listening to this music. Friday night, I'm going nowhere. All the lights are changing, green to red. Turning over TV stations, situations running through my head. Looking back through time, you know it's clear that I've been blind, I've been a fool. Open up my heart to all that jealousy, that bitterness, that ridicule. When that bass comes in, that, mm -hmm. that adds the right sort of flavor you need. And then I went home and I had a hot Scott summer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, okay. Yep. Not, not a, you had a, a hot boy summer. Mm, good for you. I'm saying. <laughs> well, you know, let's connect this to the arts and to the concert halls. You know, you have such strong memories and opinions and uh, experiences around this David Gray composition. Glory to Glorzo is a composition that I just am always going to love musically. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, I, I know people out there think I'm kidding. I, I really do love that tune. Uh, but my being able to connect it to some profundity in my life gives it even more depth. Sure. What if we could go to the concert hall and be affirmed in that way. And maybe not even with those two particular tunes, but having an opportunity to connect what is coming from the stage to our real actual lives. Mm. Not that Shostakovich and Brahms and Rachmaninoff can't do that at all, but there's a more, if I may use one of our Buddhist words, expedient way to connect with an audience in that way. And I think it has a lot to do with programming and really disrupting th the traditions surrounding all of this stuff that we call classical music so that musicians are hired and, and they're working audiences and evolving and growing uh, a, gro a growingly diverse audience here in the United States anyway is being engaged in a genuine way, not a, as a means of teaching you about something, mm -hmm. but really getting to where you are as a human being. That's what we can create in our, our so-called classical spaces. And of course, this is what this podcast is it's built to do about. and try to inspire. Let's go ahead and jump in. Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, Opus 160. Thank you so much for returning, everyone, to the Triloquy podcast. I'm feeling so good this evening. Again, just off of a really incredible weekend, and I'm just even more grateful to each and every one of you who return week after week to hear us talk about a whole lot of nothing, but a whole <laughs> lot of nothing that's tied to the mission of decolonizing the phrase classical music. If you're new to this podcast, if this is your first time checking out the Triloquy podcast, this is a podcast where Scott and I take the phrase classical music. We take pieces of music, 
songs, conversations that may not have always been tied to that phrase classical music, but ones that we tie to that phrase in an effort, again, to decolonize the art form so that it can turn into something and evolve into something that genuinely engages more of us. For more information on the Triloquy podcast, to listen to past opuses and to find out how you can contribute, check out Triloquy.org, T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y.org. In addition to your continued support, Triloquy is made possible in part by the Shuttleworth Foundation, by Springboard for the Arts, and each and every one of you. Thanks so much for joining us once again. We're going to jump here into Movement One. So a few people sent me uh, a programming announcement from down at the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. So I'm going to give this a sharp this week. I'm reading here from NOLA.com, the headline, Louisiana Philharmonic announces new season featuring collabs with Big Frida and the Lost Bayou Ramblers. Uh, for I don't know if you know if I need to talk about who Big Frida is. I guess we've never featured any music by Big Frida, but Big Frida is a, a New Orleans artist, uh, rapper, um, songstress. I mean, Big Frida would uh, describe herself as the the queen diva, mm-hmm. uh, better believe a girl down, you know, <laughs> all of that. Um, uh, queen of bounce down there in New Orleans, you know, that bounce dance style. Mm-hmm. And that's coming into the, into the concert hall. I think it's pretty interesting. I'll just read a little bit of this. I'll have it in the description, but it says here, the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra's 22-23 season is set to launch next month. And this year, everybody's favorite local orchestra is set to expand their and your horizon even more with planned performances with Big Frida and the Lost Bayou Ramblers, as well as a tribute to Star Wars legend composer John Williams. You know what what names that uh, we we didn't read in that opening description? Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where where so obviously centering Rums. centering that music is what has people excited and what John R. Stanton here was you know excited to write about and and took the time to uh, turn in a piece. Uh, to to uh, gambit over at nola.com mm. all right so i mean help me out here we're having the conversations and more and more orchestras are open to putting this music that's far outside of mm-hmm. those traditions and and go ahead and, and putting it on the stage okay we're there we're doing it we're doing it for a concert or a week of concerts in our season is it time <laughs> Considering we've come this far as far as getting that music into those spaces, is it time to say, okay, let's just see how this works and let's get used to this. Let's let the water warm up a Mm -hmm. little bit Mm -hmm. and then we'll push even further. Or is this the time to just go ahead and push even further? What do you think? That depends. Who are the, who are the, what's the Ramblers? What's the other band? Uh, It says uh, Lost Bayou Ramblers was born deep in South Louisiana, performing old style, predominantly acoustic Cajun music at clubs and festivals across the U.S. So some local music, some local New Orleans music. So they're bringing in two different types of local flavor, you know, that contemporary mm-hmm. bounce, this uh, Cajun Bayou music, you know, bringing it, bringing it in, in into the space. So it's happening, but it's happening marginally. Right. And fine. You know, uh, and, and for the record of, uh, uh, Big Freed is performing in April, so it's it's not a Black History mm-hmm. Month thing, you know, just so we're clear. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's time to have the conversation of not marginalizing 
this more contemporary music, this more American classical music. Yes, it's great that it's getting and, and and this isn't a critique. You know, it's just I think extending the conversation. It's great that it's in there. You know, and we're and we're doing it. And there's a concert that folks can go to to hear their music from their lived experiences on this stage. Mm-hmm. Is it inappropriate to continue the conversation and say, how about we not marginalize it? How about we make this a mainstay of what we offer the community as an organization instead of this one-off? Because again, my point was this article from Gambit is really highlighting the fact that you have this uh, Cajun blues band, Mm -hmm. you have Big Frida. They highlight John Williams uh, uh, in concert in the spring. They highlight the fact that they're doing uh, play along, the orchestra playing along with Home Alone, Mm -hmm. which I think would be fun. I I watch that movie every um, holiday season. So we have the the specials. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had the conversation about the specialty radio show, even, you know, putting the the different types of classical music in you know, a radio format into right. its own little you know hourly box or whatever. Yep. I don't think it's unfair to talk about unmarginalizing, unothering this music and moving toward it being the mainstay. And let's let all the people who just need to hear Beethoven Seven, mm-hmm. you know, this is when you go. Let's let's create less room for that and more room mm-hmm. for the music that's going to get today's audiences. Yeah, in. it's difficult for me to give. Uh, an answer for that because in my mind, you know, this is great that they're doing this with Big Frida and uh, and the Roots Band. Mm-hmm. My point is, until there is a track record, this is this still looks like marginalization. It still looks like you've got your time, and when your time is done, then we're going to go back to Beethoven Seven, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's my point. Show me a track record, and then. And then I'll I'll let you know whether or not I think that we're done or so that the, the change has happened. So these are the beginning steps right now. That's what I'm saying. With these performances, we're building the road. That's what that, I'm saying. That you have to stake your claims on. Yeah, yeah. And I want to shout out uh, Anwar Nazir. You know, it's a it's a black man who's executive director down there at uh, Louisiana Philharmonic. He's mm. uh, I, I believe in I believe in our brothers and and our sisters and our siblings and and these positions of power. So you know, definitely shout out to him. And I think it's great. That this concert is happening, I'm I'm here to I'm here to continue to push the conversation because it's a lot of the the typical programming mm-hmm. elsewhere. Most of it is that, and even some of that, uh, you know, are conducted by our friends and loved ones. Kalina Bovell is going to guest conduct uh, mm-hmm. Sibelius with the Louisiana uh, Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. I just think we we need all colors of the conversation. I'm and I'm always going to be all the way to the left. So <laughs> um, for the uninitiated, yeah. i.e., I. me, sure. How might the orchestra back up Big Frida? How how might that sound hmm, in well, your mind? I found this uh, recording of uh, Big Frida with Tank and the Bangers, which is of course another uh, new, local New Orleans. Uh, mm band mm-hmm. uh you know black music collective and they've they've actually performed with the louisiana philharmonic orchestra before Dell and okay. i saw them i think it was 2018 back when we first moved here to um minnesota big frida and tank and the bangers pre- performed at uh first avenue um and it was a great show mm. um anyway all of that to say i found this recording uh from world cafe where they're performing together and the opening of it you know has Big Frida given her flavor? Has Tank of the Bangers given their flavor? And some of an imagination of what that orchestral sound could be like in the background. So to answer your question, we'll just listen to a little bit of this and transition to the next accidental. Hey, 
I'm gonna tell you the other part of the conversation <laughs> that we did to have. When you start getting this uh, music in these spaces that expands what the norms are, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to expand the respectability of the space because <laughs> if you get enough of us in a room and you got Big Frida on stage talking about that booty going to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to sit on it, you see. Mm. <laughs> We're not just going to be sitting there quietly and politely with our hands in our lap. It might be some folks dancing. It might be folks <laughs> who want to have a drink while they're in, there in, the, in the concert hall. The space has to shift for the music and, and with the music. And I feel like that's uh, an aspect of the conversation that has to continue to be normalized and put to the center as well. A shift in the music and a shift in the audience means a shift in the culture mm -hmm. of the space. Mm. How far off do you think we are, Garrett? <laughs> it looks like we're here to a degree. Looks like we're here to a degree. Nice. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, you brought in an accidental this week. What are you going to get? And it's it? uh, interesting how well it fits. Uh, I, Twitter has been kind to me with... Uh, uh, interesting articles. I found this one through david-taylor.org with the headline, interestingly enough, classical music audiences are vanishing. Why aren't we doing anything about it? Or did so, you want to give it a different? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a natural. Yeah. Give it a natural. I know. It, it's a good article and he makes some good points. Yeah. And the comments on Twitter, you know, there was some nip and tuck back and forth, <laughs> you know, with the uh, uh, varying opinions sure. here, but give us a little bit of this. Right. As he opens it up, as 2021 2022 season comes to an end, we reach a moment of realization. Classical music audiences are vanishing. They're not coming back. He said that uh, um, he was noticing about a 30% reduction. Other uh, ensemble. And this is based on what I wonder, or with one ensemble or. A 30% reduction. Where's that coming from? He said that uh, talking with organizations and musicians across all levels of the industry, in-person audiences are down 30%. Mm. Um, but he said that he had been in, in some venues that they were down as low as 50. You know, and he says, one, there was 38 people in the audience. Wow. So, um, and there was some- what was on that program. <laughs> <laughs> See, now we were talking yeah. about this on the podcast. This is a time where a sea change could happen. Are orchestras going to take this as an opportunity to evolve or to begin to show change? Or would they try to like recoup some some monies mm -hmm. and and roll out the hits? You know? there, are, there are a lot of variables, I think, with these, uh, you know, and maybe this is me throwing some of the orchestras a modicum of bail, but there are a lot of variables that we have to throw in. I'm not rushing to a movie theater still anytime soon, you know, mm -hmm. in this in this, you know, late COVID stage of things, early monkeypox, whatever. I imagine, <laughs> you know, I, I said it before here, I'll say it again. I don't like the title of that disease. Like, right. if it's monkeypox outside, I'm really going to quarantine. Listen, <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not just running back to the movie theater. Okay, that that is the one thing I don't, I'm still not quite ready for. I'm not there for. Uh, I imagine there are a lot of people who feel that way about the concert hall space or or, right. or any any big public space. And he goes way. he goes into that. That's only part of it. Right. Audiences are only indicating that hesitancy about being in a crowd again mm -hmm. is only part of it. It's also not wanting to 
be in, they're not enticing them to come back yeah. in. They're not getting there. Yeah, that's the and thing. So, we aren't just going to stroll in. I right. have to really want to go. Exactly. And we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And Taylor lays it out. He says, uh, "For imagine any business going down thirty percent, yeah, and not going. Oh shit, mm-hmm. we have to we have to find out where we're bleeding, right? Yeah." Okay, so he says, for a business in this situation, there are three options available if they don't want to fail. One, adopt, uh, adapt how the product is marketed. Two, adapt the product. And three, see steps one and two. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about doing the big Fritas. Yeah. And now, if you do it right, you could see a subscription building from that. Am I correct? Right. Okay, what... What gets paired with Big Frida to keep some of the old crowd in with the new? Let's let's give some credit. Let's say that there's adventurous listeners out there. They're going to say, "All right, I'll come and see that Big Frida show." What would you What would you put up with Big Frida? Okay, fine. So first of all, let me give y'all y'all's free consultation since since nobody can think of anything. Um. <laughs> this is this is your chance to use your platform. We got Big Frida. We're talking about local music. We're talking about bounce music. We're talking about dance music. Big Frida, as I as I think I said, you know, describes herself as you know queen diva. Mm-hmm. So let's stretch all the way out. We got a Queen Symphony by Haydn. We got uh, symphonic dances on West Side Story, one of the canonized works. Uh, Leonard Bernstein on the end, and you got Big Frida. Right there in the middle. That's just me spitballing. Now, now listen, there are people who are paid a good amount of money who live in some nice homes and condos across the country, artistic X, Y, and Z, and this sort of committee whose purpose and whose job is to do that. I don't think I'm particularly more brilliant than anyone else when it comes to musical programming and putting programs together. If I can just think of that out of out of nowhere... There has to be, you know, some somewhere to crack the proverbial whip on the people whose job it is to do this. I mean, come on. I was just about to tell people to call the police because somebody has kidnapped Garrett <laughs> and he put a Haydn symphony on. And then, I but am, no, wait. Look, but then but I'm, I'm doing my best. Because, right. <laughs> so then I went. Well, now wait a minute. He's being, like, he's actually being thoughtful. Let, let, yeah, I I'm, said I'm offering some compassion. I I'm said who, some rope. Who would you put on to keep the old crowd? Okay, a Haydn symphony. Okay. So I wish I had a button, but the only controls I have over here are for the air conditioner and the heater. Mm-hmm, so, yep, so what else? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get an air anyway, horn anyway. for you? Okay, I, was, fine. I, I would air horn you okay. for that. Well, but listen, I probably wouldn't put the height on <laughs> if I really sat there at my desk at my artistic programming job. You know, I would think of something else. All I'm saying is, if you just have to go back. In, into the past, you know, four year, 70 year old or 20 year old subscription uh, concert goer who just loves that music, there is a connection to be made. But this is the thing if we're going to do something like that, if, if we're going to put Haydn next to Big Frida, <laughs> I think Big Frida and the like have to be more regular. You see, because you're not a track record, right? Because you're not gonna just try to play the game in that way for this one concert and go back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. Fine, if we're gonna listen to Haydn every other week, we better be listening to somebody more contemporary every week as well. Hey, look, I I didn't mean for you to be giving away 
consultations here. That was not my intention. No, that's what I'm here for. That was not my intention. That's but what I'm here for. Just give me my Emmy. There's, a, there's another good point that I wanted to uh, touch on here because uh, Taylor uses the metaphor of Formula One racing, which has been popular the last several years. It's had a surge in popularity, whereas... And this is like NASCAR or something. Right, but it's more European. Okay. You know, it's... it's because look, you know, sleek I don't know. And sexier. As soon as I see the race car, that's there are so many things that I, know, I will just I sit through. NASCAR is one of those I things know. that I'm just going to change the channel. You know, no, it, we need to have somebody from NASCAR <laughs> on Trilogy <laughs> because there are some black NASCAR drivers. But in the same way that we're trying to get classical music together and diversify mm. audiences. Is 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 there a DEI department over at NASCAR? I don't I, maybe a ooh, drawer. I don't know. <laughs> you said there is one uh uh not dartboard, what you call it, a, a cork board, <laughs> you know, like th th this yeah. is our anyway. Formula so, One. <laughs> not to lose the thread here, he he uses something that the former CEO of because now Formula One is sexy and it's marketed and it's packaged and you know, so it's okay. appealing to uh, people 30-ish and, and, and lower and, and younger. So he uses this quote from the former CEO, Bernie Eccleston. He says, I'm not interested in tweeting Facebook or whatever this nonsense is. I'd rather get to the 70-year-old guy who's pl got plenty of cash. So there's no point trying to reach these kids because they won't buy any of these products here. And if marketers are aiming at this audience, then maybe they should advertise with Disney. Your thoughts, your feedback. I mean, the because next this sentence, is exactly the, what we were talking yeah, about, the right? The next sentence out of this article is: "You wouldn't be surprised if this quote came from an orchestra in 2022." I wonder how unspoken of a truth it is. I wonder the degree to which people understand that it's funders at the bottom of all of these traditions. Is that is that common knowledge? I mean, to to me, it's just very apparent. And maybe I I wasn't always thinking about that. Sure, but. And and I don't even have to be the one to say it, but th th there are so many folks who, in the industry and outside of it who will just flat foot tell you the programming that comes from most of the orchestras and the tradition tied to it and the way that it continues to look has a direct correlation with the biggest donors, mm -hmm. the, the the biggest contributors uh, to to these organizations. But I have to wonder. I mean, how, so so, yeah. so I mean, so but just on that point, is is that. Is that understood? Like, do, do you, what, to what degree do you think people understand that? I would like to think it's higher than it probably is. Because hmm. like you, I would think that it's obvious. Sure. But clearly it's not. And my, my question is, uh, or my, my worry is that there are a lot of folks who are taking the approach of, we're never going to get that crowd, so we're not even going to try. We're not going to get them and keep them, and we might scare somebody off in the meantime. So we're not even going to try. That's what I'm afraid of. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. I, Is it too I, cynical? I, I really also have to go to classical radio. So, in most cases, we're not talking about big funders controlling the aesthetic or maybe we are i don't know i, I thought of that as a more collective thing but mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. even so as as great of the work as many of the classical stations are doing that general aesthetic and that um you know non-american definition aural definition of classical music is still the centerpiece or, or still the target sound as 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 some folks say and that's not an issue of the one person or the five people with a couple million dollars to give. Mm -hmm. That's that's the 
that's the collective. So is there a fear of, again, so the funding, there's there's a fear of some of the people pulling their subscriptions if Big Frida comes through the airwaves too often? If and, uh, Yes. And let's, let's also say if you're heading up a radio station and all of a sudden 30% of your listenership evaporates, mm-hmm. what do you do? Because we're not thinking about what that 30% can be replaced with. And I'm not saying that, you know, the 30% that leave should leave, I, but no, I'm not, I'm not saying, what do you do to get them back? I'm just saying in, in broad no, strokes. No, what, I'm, I'm saying there's, there's a larger, let's face it. There's a larger audience that has never been engaged. You see that mm-hmm. 30% that's going to run away. If you do it right, that you're, 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 in my opinion, and, and from my view, you're still going to come out on top and, and not down because there is a majority of the world, you know, a majority of your city, whatever, that you have never directly engaged. So with the correct marketing, with the correct community engagement, the 30% that leave won't even, you know, if, if we would just want to reduce the conversation to the numbers of, of listeners or to contributors or, or whatever, I feel like you, it would still be higher than uh, it is now. The numbers will be higher. We're just so afraid of decentering the 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 communities, the audiences, the demographics that we've always centered, and we're forgetting that there is a much larger portion of the pie out there. I don't know. Do you feel do you feel like half of any given city is being directly engaged by its classical music radio station? Oh, I, 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 yeah. I would even I would I would go way further down. I would say you know, and I, and I'll take it off of you. I worked um, you know classical radio and down in Knoxville, we had a large listenership because it was um, uh, multi platform. So there was news and classical and jazz, and, mm-hmm. and you know, and and my show did did pretty well. Even so, I would say that. On my best days, I, on my best weeks, I never had more than I don't know thirty five percent of the of the city's ears, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was doing my best down there, and you know, my my programming ideas have evolved even since then. But I'm, you know, anyway. All of this to say, my point is, there's such a big audience out there that has just never even considered going to a concert or turning to their classical radio station because they have a preconception of what it all is. But that preconception doesn't come from nowhere. I feel like the preconception is actually affirmed by the way uh, programming tends to look 80% of the time. Um, This blew up a little bit larger than I expected. Um, uh, It will be posted in the description. I wanted to head down to the last paragraph here just to put a bow on things. Sure. Where... uh, David Taylor asks, uh, he poses the thought here at the end, we cannot wait for another programming cycle to do something or to see how this season goes. Are we pass fail safe? We don't, we don't have to be. So I guess, no, I I don't, I don't think we're past the fail safe. I I, I still think there's a chance, but you gotta, you gotta do it because time is running out. Uh, But what does that mean? You know, there's, there's always going to be, someone there mm-hmm. uh to to listen to what whatever is typical i guess you know how do you see about balancing the scales i mean what is how how do we come to the table you have me that is gonna come to the table and say never program a beethoven symphony again period mm-hmm. just don't do it you got people who want 
that to be the center. As a matter of fact, a Beethoven something goes on every concert. You have those folks. Mm -hmm. And then you have this gray area in the middle where a lot of different people have different ideas. So how do, how do we reduce the gray and get to more agreement? What, what does that look like for you? I, for me, I think about the power dynamic of folks with my opinion, fighting against centuries of tradition, yeah, um, which in my opinion means that we deserve more equity. But at the same time, I feel like you have some of those folks in the middle that say, well, you have to boil the frog event, uh, uh, gradually. You mm -hmm. can't, uh, otherwise he'll jump out. I mean, what are, what are your ideas on on those conversations? What do you, do you think it's one? So, let, and let's make it real. Let's go back to Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. Is it that they need to add one more concert like the Big Frida and and um and like the the Roots group, the Lost Bayou Ramblers, add one every year, uh, you know, maybe three years in a row, have that one, see how it goes and and add one then. Just go ahead and schedule half of your season like that and mm -hmm. then make the decision about how the money what what are what are your thoughts there? Well, we're we're talking about engaging a part of a part of the city that has never been engaged before. Right. right? Okay. And not only so, a part, the majority. Okay. Like, I think that's the point. So we have to keep in consideration that there are a lot of stations out there who simply don't have the marketing budget mm -hmm. to do a meaningful campaign that's, that's to where they will really get that word out. And, so, and there has to be that acknowledgement that it has to be meaningful and intentional. Sure. And so that takes, you know, you're you're probably going to hire a contractor or a specialist of some kind of design if, if you're a smaller station that can get the money together. Yeah. But um, the the so in that instance, the best you the the best way to advertise is your own airwaves. Mm. So the things that you need to be doing are. Um, engaging with the listenership to say, well, we're going to put this piece of music on. Maybe you can send us an email or give us a call and let us know what you think. Create a dialogue um, to give them a reason to engage with you, to you know, sit through a piece of music, to yeah. listen to a piece of music with you. And um, I'm going to quote Judd Greenstein again, where he said he thought that the best way to radically upend a system is to commission composers to write new music and then right. play it. Right. So if you can... Uh, engage uh, if you want to if you want to hit like the black community in your area I would say uh, commission one of the artists to write a piece of music play it and give them the money yeah yeah <laughs> and then put it on the air yeah so but then not only are you bringing the but not only are you are you bringing like well uh, well, well I, I was going to say with the acknowledgement that there are different communities among the, you know, because. Right. I was just trying to give you. A, right. Be specific. Um, so what Paviel did with St. Paul Chamber Orchestra is a right. prime example. Yeah. Uh, not only was it music that the community cared about, but the musicians were dialoguing with her, were rehearsing with her and collaborating with right. her. And what a beautiful effort. And the only concert that got me in there, no shade. Look. We, but I mean, it worked. We have to. But you and, went. And I think we need to take some of the um, guilt and moral judgments out of the conversation as well. Look, it's not about anybody. And I feel like I was doing all of this a couple of weeks ago. It's not about us having particular feelings about individuals or even other orchestral institutions as bodies, mm -hmm. as much as it's about just honesty. Mm -hmm. I'm not at the orchestra concerts, har hardly ever. And that's not 
that's not shade. That's that's just a, a fact. You know, right. <laughs> as Dorian Corey said on Paris is Burning, that's not shade. That's just a fact. Okay. So, and it's just a fact that that one show is what got me there featuring Pavio Friends. It's just a fact that when Big Frida performs with the Louisiana Philharmonic, there, there are going to be people who have never been, who are going to go for that. And maybe never come back, you know. So, yep. so, so those, those, those are just facts. Now, I still think we need to talk about all of the work that has to be done, you know, in that marketing and, you know, in uh, going through the years of work for you to have the staff, the con- the consultants, the liaisons that um, are embedded in these different communities. So you actually have that bridge you know there let, let's say uh, uh my, my previous uh upstairs neighbor who, mm-hmm. who used to live here you know we have to think about you we all have to think about how does this orchestral concert connect to him you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and his family mm-hmm. you know what does advertisements that connect with him look like before you we have that conversation i think we have to talk about what service and what meaning connects with him before we even require anything of folks from in these communities. How can we serve them actually right. beyond right. come and give us money to to sit in our seats quietly and listen to this show? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. What would you put on? Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're sitting at the CEO's desk, you know, and we're sitting there together. So he's, he's, he asked me to leave already because it's gotten loud. <laughs> so it's just you and him now. What is something that you're going to suggest? He gives you the reins. He says, okay, fine. Whatever you want to put on one of these concerts, we will make it happen for you to put it on. What would that be? Just as an example. Uh, A great composer I've been listening to a lot lately. Their name is Ahmed Alabaka. Oh, I know Ahmed. Shout out to Ahmed. uh, A piece of theirs that I just listened to it and floated above was uh, the Ascension for solo clarinet and string orchestra. Um, Familiar sounds, but he treats it so lovely. Shout out to Ahmed. That's a, a really incredible piece. And I think you said uh, Ahmed has been featured on Performance Today recently. A couple times. Or, yeah. A couple times. That, yeah. That's great. Yeah. We've, we've had many a drink, many a laugh, many a, many a kiki. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to platform living composers as a sort of stepping stone. I'll, I'll start by saying that I guess when we talk about how to balance the scales and how to have the conversation, before we have um, Big Frida every month, you know, every, every other subscription, it's not too much to ask, as Joe Greenstein was saying, to commission living composers mm-hmm. to to put their music on the uh, on the stages, and it's not that far from the aesthetics yeah. that your traditional audiences are listening to. I mean, if anything, it's better because there are just common aesthetics generally that are are more 
understood by mm-hmm. our society. What we just heard of this uh, ascension for solo clarinet and uh, string orchestra, I think just the aesthetic of it can help people get into their memories, maybe get retrospective or pensive about something for a minute. You know, people forget that way back when in, in Mozart's days, when something was in G minor, versus being in D major. That was a seismic shift. Audiences (laughs) at that time, you know, listened to music and hurt those audiences anyway, hurt music in that way. And there were certain cultural norms tied to the keys, especially when you're talking about opera. Mm. So we listen to music a little different here in in this 21st century. And it's easy, I think, to make a case for living composers. That that's why I've taken a job, you know, to that that does that right. that work. So, you know, again, I'm saying it's not about the stepping stone as much as for my opinion, it's just the easy thing to do. It's the obvious step that we should have, you know, normalized 20 years ago, but you know, here we are. So, let's normalize it now. That's 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 what I got on that. And um, you know, the the conversations of equity, you know, are are these living composers women? Are these living composers people of color? Are these living composers uh, gender non-binary? Mm-hmm. You know, neurodivergent. Do they have different abilities? I can I can right. you know right. go down the list. So all of those conversations have to be there as well. But let's just dedicate ourselves, you know, in our personal listening and our programming. If you're a musician on one of these artistic committees that's continuing for some reason to choose Beethoven on your concert, you know, consider a a, a living composer and consider doing more living composers than not if you're in a position to actually affirm someone who would who can who is allowed to receive that affirmation and receive that appreciation. And if you really want to get all equitable and stuff, bring the composer in and give them the podium and and pay them a, a per diem put them I'm in saying? the nicest hotel that you can afford to put them in that was implied you know all all of that that was you implied know? you know yep. taking care of our fellow glory to glorzo didn't we just get done talking about that <laughs> put some money in their pocket yeah anyway all right well we're here in the second movement where scott and i are going to highlight some music that we've been spending a little bit of time with uh this week i'm, I'm gonna go first this week uh with some 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 Latin jazz here. So there's a track called Black Orpheus, and that's just one of uh, the names of this tune. Another uh, title of, of this tune is called A Day in the Life of a Fool. Now, <laughs> let me let, let me tell you what I was thinking uh, when I found out that was an altern- uh, alternate title for this work. So long story short, I'm at the Buddhist conference this past weekend, Folks don't really, folks don't know that I'm a musician. There are a, a few people there uh, that I know. Shout out to Donna Walker Kuhn, who, who's been on Triloquy. You know, she was uh, at the conference. But m- most folks don't really know much about me. Maybe you know, word is spreading. You know, as I've introduced myself to a couple people that I'm a musician, but I didn't really get into many specifics. Uh, so someone walks up to me, just you know, having heard I was a musician. Uh, shout out to Joy, who lives in Hawaii, and she says, you know, I've put together this African dance group. Uh, but we need a drummer. We need someone to play some African drum. Are, are, are you a drummer? And I'm not a drummer. That, that's not, everybody knows that, who knows me. But 
this is somebody who was coming to me and w- with a request. And I took percussion methods once upon a time in undergraduate. <laughs> I know how to, you know, play along and and provide rhythm for something else that's going on, whether it's uh, dance or whatever. So I mm-hmm. just said yes. All right. So we're in there and and we're getting it in the rehearsal and it all sounds good. And um and someone else that I met, shout out to uh, Fred Barr, a jazz musician who was at the conference. He's based in Chicago. He has a set that he's planned for the talent show. So while he's sitting there rehearsing, he's he's playing the keyboard and singing uh, while I'm waiting for the dancers to come back from break. I'm just sort of playing with them and, and getting some rhythm going up under everything he's playing. And we ended up doing that for the show. It, it ended up working out. So my stepping outside of my comfort zone and that nice. way, or at least what I what I am used to doing, turned into a really great musical experience. And one of the tunes that Fred and I played uh, at the Buddhist conference is this Black Orpheus. So I think that that title, A Day in the Life of a Fool, comes in because we do that. The performance is great. The next day, we're all, um, you know, we have chances to come up to the mic and, you know, offer, you know, our takeaways from the conference or, or what we love best. And as much as I talk into a microphone, mm-hmm. I said, you know, let me let everyone else have a chance. But I just remembered in my mind, these folks don't know me and they, and they don't know that I can, you know, really take the take the attention of a room. So let me show them how you how you go up to a microphone. So so I went up there and, you know, I had the crowd going and everything. And I and I was like, and you know what? I'm a I'm an orchestral bassoonist. I don't even play the drums. And, you know, it's like, it's all of the oh, oh, my gosh, it was so good. <laughs> anyway, so I felt like I just I was able to fool the crowd <laughs> in that way by just, you know, being confident and really stepping up, you know, a day at the life of a of a fool, but fool as a verb, a day in the life of a trick or the the day in the life of a deception. You mm. know? Um and and uh, I'm just so glad to have uh, met Fred and uh, met Joy and everyone else down there. And I'm you know really glad to have another piece of music in my arsenal of, of tunes that I like. So I've actually found a rendition of Black Orpheus uh, for uh, piano and conga as I was playing the conga down there nice. at, at the conference. So we'll listen to a little bit of, of this one here. performance linked in the description that comes from the uh, YouTube channel called seven note mode, something that I found myself really playing with in, in, in preparation for, you know, my, my professional percussion debut mm-hmm. is getting a feel of the different sounds that you yeah. can get out of a, a single drum. And, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it real. I, I felt like I was doing pretty good. And, and the folks again, could, couldn't even believe that I'm not a drummer and that's not what I do. Um, but with that being said, I just want to, you know, take my hat off to the percussionists out there because y'all <laughs> really know how to make a single instrument, make all these different sort of noises. You know, it was funny during the African dance portion, I'm going hard with the with the uh, fast drum beat, and then people from the audience are jumping in and dancing, and it's fun. 
And about seven minutes in, I'm like, all right, y'all gonna have to wrap this up because my because <laughs> my hands are getting sore around here. During the last uh, uh, session where I was given my experience, you know, I, I woke up and my hands were so sore it was it wasn't even feeling comfortable to applaud. So I was just doing a lot of big jazz, <laughs> jazz hands, hands to to <laughs> celebrate people. Uh, anyway, if that black, had been me, Black Orpheus, I would have it. It would not have gone well. I'd be like the one the sheepdog getting bullied by the sheep, you know, for lying on his resume. It would be so obvious <laughs> that that and and that tune sounds very florida is that one you happen to know black orpheus or or a day in the life of a fool as, as this alternative i know title? i know what a day in the life of the fool is like but, <laughs> but um, this too. no i don't but that you know that that's that's part of a just a flavor yeah you know the that mode love it mm-hmm. they i mean there, there are arrangements for piano uh voice and and everything anyway re- really great track go check out black orpheus if you are unfamiliar with it if you happen to have the real book the the jazz real book it's it's in there if you want to play it all right what music you got this week so i you know the composer eleanor alberga yeah Af- afro-british by way of the caribbean uh, I believe. kingston she was born okay. in kingston jamaica yeah shout out to jamaica and I was listening to her violin concerto number two, Narcissus. Narcissus. How'd you get there? What's it called Um, for real? Narcissus. Okay. You know how you give me a hard time not wanting to hear somebody if they can play, how quietly they can play the intro of the violin on Sibelius's violin concerto. (laughs) You're not interested in that. Well, I started to just laugh. Put the, put the bow on the string. Like, let me, let, let me just say to that laugh. to the string players. Anyway, because go on. She does that in the she does that in reverse in the final movement. Of it's loud the and vi- then goes and, quiet. Right, okay. and but but you know you have to be careful because you don't if, as you're listening in headphones you don't know if that's decay or if that's the player still going on. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought I would bring that in and pose that to you. But then the thing is, is that I started to hear on YouTube. I started hearing her other compositions that I liked even more. Mm. And I've been trying this concept of kind of doing an electronic symphonic poem, where rhythms and uh, instruments and sounds will change, but still be one piece. Some of them upwards of thirty minutes long. Sure. And I'm getting ideas of how they're built listening to one of her pieces for wind called night song and uh, getting ideas of how uh instruments might work behind the other members of the band you know Mm. the the different uh rhythmic patterns that they take and and how they fit together um plus it was one of those things where as i was listening to it you know how you're having a a nice night and all of a sudden the street lights are coming on mm-hmm. and it's cooled down a little bit and you start to feel and you didn't even realize all this was happening and then all of a sudden you go oh man this is such a nice night this is all coming together yeah and before you know it the moon's up and you're like oh wow what a great moon tonight and night song does that it takes you through a night in kingston jamaica you forward to uh the part of the piece that's called brother fox and the dancing ghosts that's uh 
the fourth portion of Night Song and, and Eleanor Alberga herself on the podium. Um, Academy of St. Martin in the Fields there playing that it's it's really not hurting anybody or anything to at the very least center that type of music it's 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 just the the next thing to do um I want to acknowledge <laughs> the fact that you know I I get a lot of feedback and and you know when I have time read a lot of the emails something that I appreciate getting in the feedback is people talk about how we just nail down on that same point, you know, week after week, week, week after week, just to try to inspire folks to, you know, actually finally take on this thing. Uh, you know, we, so I'll, I say that to say, I understand that, you know, we continually make the point of moving the so-called canon to the side. And I think by talking about different ways to do that, you know, hopefully some of this will, will stick. I love that uh, the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields is playing this this music. Mm -hmm. When we look at concert programs, you know, especially here in the United States, it's not even the living composers that are are being centered. The the living composers whose music matches an aesthetic that's close enough to the Western European canon, you know, the so-called traditional canon to not scare people off. But that's not even happening. So, you know, Mm. uh, again, it's it's not... I, 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 I'm, I'm careful, you know, with my words and the way that I contextualize this because I, I really, you know, need the industry to move away from the idea that we're just having the dialogue, we're having the conversation. Yes, we are, but it's, but it's time to, to act on it. So, so let's actually put that step forward. Be the first one. But before we cut on the mics, we were talking about how, how, how folks are so afraid to be the first, you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. once someone's, once someone does something, you know. When someone uh, commissions Jesse Montgomery, the next person does, and the next person does, and now we have a young black woman composer who most folks know in the in the business. But mm-hmm. somebody had to be first for that to happen, and that's not to say that Eleanor Alberga doesn't get her flowers out here. Her music gets performed, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm just saying, what if we can really normalize centering the living composers to the to the end of completely decolonizing classical music and classical music spaces to where Big Frida is just the normal kind of thing or a normal type of thing to to hear in in those spaces. Love that piece, Nightscape by uh, Eleanor Alberga. I'm going to spend some more time with that myself. I actually um, included some of her music in uh, the sets that I was producing for for uh, St. Louis, I'm, I'm forgetting the call signs right now. Please forgive me, but uh, the, the classical station in St. Louis and the folks liked it. It was it was among the uh, Eleanor Alberga's music was among the pieces of music that folks were particularly uh, drawn to. So huge, huge flowers and a huge shout out to composer Eleanor Alberga. Well, it's it's very good that we've been 
uh, yelling about uh, promoting living composers this week because <laughs> who's yelling? Uh, <laughs> uh, because this week's third movement guest, uh, I had the pleasure of having in studio composer Greg Leggett. Greg recently moved to Rochester, Minnesota, and uh, his his wife works for the Mayo Clinic, which allows of uh, which allows him to really focus <laughs> on. Uh, he talks about being a stay at home dad and uh, to stay at home and really focus on his composition. So he reached out to me uh, among the many folks that he's reaching out here to sort of get his, you know, feet on the ground and, you know, learn about what's going on in uh, art spaces and composer opportunities. So uh, I pointed him some spaces and uh, he agreed to come into the studio and have a conversation with me. Uh, So we, uh, among the many things we talk about is his unique road to composition. He actually went to music school while in the military. The the United States military has a music school where you learn music theory and and composition and and all of those things. Um, and uh, how he's trying to move things forward in his own way. Uh, one, of, one of the things, uh, you'll hear it in our conversation, but he tickled me so bad uh, on social media once upon a time. He talked about how these institutions, you know, we always talk about, um, you know, marginalized composers and everything is too white male. Well, you know, from, in his opinion, is deeper than that. He said institutions really only uh, prefer their white male composers to be dead. So, <laughs> mm. so that's how he gets thrown to the side in that conversation. And, and we kind of go there. And I think it's an mm. important uh, conversation to have, especially as we're, you know, trying to widen the gap in every way uh, we can. So uh, where, where we get into the conversation, I'm, uh, uh, we're talking about his experience in the military a- as far as learning composition and uh, his experience as a, a musician, his road to that uh, composition. And we just uh, go from there. Uh, to get us into the conversation, I want to share a little bit of his music. We're going to book in this conversation with uh, two works uh, by Greg Leggett, with the first one uh, being Ascension. I think it's a, a really uh, nice vibe here. We're, we'll listen to a bit of the end of Ascension by Greg Leggett to get us into my conversation with him. Hope you all enjoy it. They do have a school of music. So this is the Armed Forces School of Music in okay. Norfolk, Virginia. And it's six it's six months of like very intense music theory, music composition, ear training, and performance. So the six months you wake up, you know, depending on depending on what day it was, you could wake up at five, you could wake up at four, you know, go work out, PT, and then go you know, sit in a music theory class or sit in a music composition class or sit in a performance. And it's just, you know, you're just practicing. And practicing you're, in, and you're in the military, so you can't skip and, the class. <laughs> oh, no, no, you can't. There's no skipping. There's no, you know, you can't, you know, you wake up with a hangover or something like that. You're still required to show up. There's sure. no, there's no getting around it. Yeah. So how did that turn into wanting to be a, a well, I shouldn't say wanting to be a composer, but acting on the desire to be a, a composer. I think I wanted to be a composer before I knew I wanted to be a composer. I didn't think that I could be a composer because other people kind of convinced me that it wasn't possible with my background. Hmm. They convinced me that, you know, if you if you can't come in and you can't, you know, recite all of these chord changes, you can't say what you know, what this is and what that is, then you have no place writing music. 
you know, if you can't follow these rules, then you have no place, you know, in this in this industry. So did you immediately push back on that or was there a time where you had to sort of work your way through what people were telling you? I don't think that I pushed back because I was convinced of it myself Hmm. from from kind of kind of kind of early on. I was under the impression that, you know, you had to go, you had to go and you had to get that formal education. You had to get the master's degree and you had to get, you know, all of this stuff before you could sit down and even think about writing a piece of music. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went along with it and it was, it was, it was a bit of a mistake, but it really wasn't because again, I was able to, you know, the things that I did had to happen for me to get to the point that I am now. And it had to happen for me to become like kind of the person that I am right now. So, yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of tricky because I, I, I didn't think that I could just sit down and write a piece of music. Mm. And I think, you know, I, I love film music. That was my that was my thing. And yeah. I, that was that was another thing. I fell in love with film music before I knew before I even knew it was a thing. Yeah. Because um, I remember I remember watching Batman, Batman 1989. Sure. Uh, Danny Elfman's score. Yeah. Great music. Like just blew me away and i didn't even know why i didn't know why it was the thing so it was kind of like that seed was planted it was there but i just i just never i never pursued it because i didn't know and i didn't know the different avenues that you could take to get to that point partly because of where i was from you know they didn't and they it's it's not to say that they were withholding that information but it's just they didn't have the information to give me so life after the military you you travel the world you're playing all these different types of music and it's time to just figure it out. Yeah. What What were those first few weeks and months like? I always say that when you, you know, when you when you get out, it's like they pin a twenty dollar bill to your shirt and leave you at the bus stop <laughs> and say, "Good luck." Mm-hmm. Um, we, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my wife has a very good job. Yeah. Um, and I kind of always knew that no matter what I did, whether I wanted to go and I wanted to freelance or if I wanted to, you know, if I really wanted to give the writing thing a shot, which I didn't do that right out of the military. I got mm. out in 2013. I don't think I actually made the decision to start writing until I think it was, it was the end of 2018. Oh, wow. That I finally said, okay, this is something that I, I can do it. So now I can take this step and just do it. <laughs> so so what, what did that interim, what did those five years look like? Were you just working a job? Or? I just worked just odd jobs. I mm. freelanced. Uh, I did quite a few, you know, freelance gigs in Seattle. We lived in Seattle. We lived in, um, michigan we lived in georgia and now we're here so there's there's been there's been a lot of i think i moved around more after the military oh wow just trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. you know and i didn't i didn't want my you know what i was doing to be the only the only thing that we relied on because the year that i got out is also when we had my son that was my first kid so that that's a whole nother you've got a whole nother factor you know, whole another view on life, a whole sure. nother, like it's yeah. a whole, a whole new bag. And, um, yeah, I just kind of worked odd jobs. And I remember playing with, you know, I played with a, a funk band and I played in a couple of, uh, a couple of other ska bands and just, you know, just kind of random, random groups that you'd, you know, you'd go out and you'd freelance and mm-hmm. making, you know, maybe 40, 50 bucks for a gig which was barely enough to compensate for driving over there, exactly. much less food and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I think the, it, it was, it was fun, but you know, being a new dad, it, it staying out till four o'clock in the morning just wasn't, it wasn't appealing anymore. Right. You know, that's not something I, I didn't want that to be my life. Mm-hmm. You can make money, you can make a living doing that by all means, but 
you know, I, I, I just, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not really built for that. So it sounds like so, becoming a father brought you into the house more and maybe yeah. to the writing desk. Yeah. More. Yeah. And so after, after, you know, kind of dabbling, I did go to school. I went to school. Um, I went to maybe three or four different schools uh, for music technology and for music theory. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm one of those guys. School is just, it's not, I, it doesn't work for me. Sure. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> sure. work, which is another reason why I, I just, you know, I had to make those decisions and um, ended up really getting into recording and kind of studio work. And I think that was, that was the bridge that I needed to get to composition was going from, you know, that kind of just, just being a performer, being a player to, you know, kind of understanding music technology and that kind of bridged the gap to, you know, sitting at a computer and writing mm-hmm. an original piece of music. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of all these, all these steps that had to happen and I'm glad they did, but that's, that's, it's, it's, it was a very roundabout way to get to where I am now. Yeah. You say, so, you say sitting at a computer, a yeah. lot of folks imagine the composer sitting at the piano, but that's not what no, you said. So, no, so what did no. your, that what was, did your process look like? Yeah, that was, that was the, that was the big step was learning, you know, how, how to, how to you know start a project and to pull up the software that you need to write to write music because i can for some reason midi midi works for me yeah like i can i can still take that information and put it you know and and put it on transcript and i can still do that but i have to have like it it just communicates with me better Mm -hmm. and that was the part that that was the part that was like it was like an aha moment you know, and I really, I really kind of, I am still very, very passionate about like recording and the recording arts and sure. audio engineering and, and, and all that. I don't consider myself an audio engineer by any chance, but you know, that was, that was the part that kind of, you know, I sat down and I thought, Hey, I can, I can actually do this. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can sit down and I can write, I can write music. I can write a piece of music. And then that, it, it just, uh, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Um, and those, those electronic instruments have opened up so many doors for mm-hmm. so many uh, music creators, composers, you know, just, yeah. just, you know, at the same time, it doesn't, and as, as, as good as they're getting with making those instruments sound like quote unquote, real instruments, there's, there's still that gap. Do you, do you yeah. see that as a yeah. barrier or what's your reaction to hearing your music realized in that <clears throat> way, as opposed to if you had an orchestra or uh, whatever? I think that it's an important tool to have. I don't think that that's something that we need to rely on because I, I am, I, and I think that gives me an advantage because I, I understand what it's like to sit in an orchestra and, and mm-hmm. I, I, I know what that sounds like. I know what it feels like. I know it's what it's like to be, to be in that room with, you know, uh, uh, with all of these musicians that sit down and, 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 and they, they're all playing their instruments and it's, it's just, there's, it's a different animal. You get different stuff from that. And, it's it's something that recently I've realized that I miss after writing so much in the computer and using these you know these VST instruments and all these all these samples and mm-hmm. stuff like that you 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 miss all of the little good textures and all of the overtones that come from a live performance mm-hmm. even even down to you know I was I was talking to my wife about it the other day like I I miss hearing people breathe. Mm-hmm. I brought up Danny Elfman earlier and there was a he so he he scored the uh, Spider-Man soundtrack. Right. Um and there's a there's there's one piece and there's a flute solo, this really nice, you know, flowing flute solo. 
And I remember listening to it on my headphones and you could hear, you could hear the wind wind section, like everybody would breathe. And it was very subtle, but I was like, dude, that's something that I miss. I miss the feeling of, you know, hearing people on a stage playing these pieces of music. And mm -hmm. it's, you don't know it if you don't, if you've never experienced it. Right. You know, right. you don't, you don't know what you're missing with that part. And that's, I think that's something that I want to, I want to, I want to reiterate and I want to bring back, you know, versus just hearing stuff on, you know, on the computer where it's all written in MIDI. So that's, that's, that's a big, yeah, that's, that's kind of a can of worms. So you know, to me, and, and of course, you know, if everyone had the budget to, you know, invite everyone to come play and record these things, that's what will, what would happen. So it's obvious yeah. that, um, finances will always be one of those challenges toward working toward that, the, the, the breath that you're speaking to yeah. and that, and, and that group experience, but it's not just money. It seems like knowing folks is a part of it as well. I mean, how, how uh, has the networking aspect of being a composer uh, been a success for you or been a barrier for you, been a challenge for it's, you? It's definitely been a barrier hmm. from, from, you know, from being all over the world and moving all over the place. I think that if I was, if I was in a position where I had lived in the same town for, you know, a decade and I had made that network, it would be, it would be a lot easier to, you know, hop on the phone and say, Hey, I need, sure. I need, you know, I need a flute player. I need a clarinet section. I need a low brass section for this, for this, for this piece that I'm working on, you know, and it wouldn't necessarily be about, okay, I have to pay you because this person doesn't know me. Sure. So I've got to, they're, they're not just going to come work for somebody that they don't know for free, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't expect anybody to do that. I don't, I don't, I don't like expecting somebody to do that, but having that network and having, having that kind of stepping stone is is very important because yeah. you you have to you have to you have to get there somehow and sometimes it is you know calling up calling up your friends and saying hey can i you know can you come in and play this you know play this part for me it seems like some sort of network would have been developed with all your years in the military and everywhere that you've gone is it are you siloed in that way or i i think there 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 are folks out there that are still playing um and maybe that's maybe that's something that i should utilize more mm. is you know that network um a lot of a lot of people when they get out of the military they just kind of you know they did their time they go yeah they're, they're done you know um there are a few people out there that are still playing uh it's not enough necessarily for me to call and say hey can you give me a professional recording you know, of this part that I can, I can mix into my, you know, what I'm doing here, mm -hmm. you know, that's a little bit different. It's a, it's a different kind of, sure. Kind of, kind of bag. And I guess I shouldn't assume that writing for a Western classical orchestra is, is what you center. I mean, what, when, when you're, when you imagine the musicians that you want to bring to the table, that you want to realize your music, what are you, what are you envisioning? Short term right now, I I kind of see a small a small wind like kind of kind of a condensed wind ensemble. Hmm. So, and the reason the reason I, I I'm gravitating towards that is because you see strings like it's always it's always anytime you have these small format you know kind of performances. Sure, you have you have a small the, string, the string quartet or the, right. Yeah. Um, and I've I've been listening to uh, I know Johan Johansson, mm -hmm. Johansson, mm -hmm. Johan Johansson. Um, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been listening to him a lot, and I, he he did a really good job at bringing that on stage. And 
it was a really cool it was a really cool kind of vibe but it's still you know it's still strings and i if i see something happening if i see like a trend i'm the kind of guy i'm like what what do i do to be different like sure. i'll i'll you know if everybody's going right i'm gonna make it a point to go left you know so i i want to i want to see you know these these instruments that aren't necessarily you know seen in that kind of format mm -hmm. like the like trombone section yeah something like that or like a, a a woodwind section is something that you don't see with you know synthesizers and computer technology sure you know on a stage together yeah and i think that that's 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 a really cool that would be a really cool vibe and that'd be a, a really fantastic sound so we can get you the trombone choir we can get you the woodwind section and we can record this one piece or have this one performance mm -hmm. and that's great but it has to be so much more than that. How do you think mm -hmm. about uh, the challenge of sustaining that career as a composer? And again, not just financially, but you know, making sure that you don't have just one off after one off that you're building a system for yourself. Correct. Yeah, I think that being being limited. Sometimes I like to think that I I want to intentionally limit myself. Mm -hmm. Because if you can, if you can sit down and you, you know, somebody says, hey, we can get you these instrumentation, you know, these instruments, mm -hmm. we can get you these players for this, for this one performance, being able to adapt to that. I think that's going to be a big deal. You know, that's going to be a big, a big tool to taking these type, this, this style of music onto stage and mm -hmm. making it more accessible to, you know, to just the general population versus it being, you know, okay, you have to go to this giant concert hall. You have to go you know, to these places to be able to, to hear this music. Yeah. But that would kind of be a good way to, to slowly bring it, you know, into a more accessible, you know, venue. What do you think about what's going on in the concert halls? I mean, are, is, is there something behind your thinking beyond the concert like hall? It's, <laughs> it's the same, it's the same, the same thing. It's the same thing that has been for, for ever. Mm. You know, and and that's I'm not I'm not saying that as in I I know everything that's going on. Sure. You know, just from my perspective, it, it's it's the same music. It's the same. I mean, style. you got it's, the right idea for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's it's the way the way that I see it, that's that's the that's kind of the the key is getting it away from that that old school, you know, thing mm -hmm. that we've been doing over and over and over and over and over again. And it's just, it's exhausting. It's, it's, I'm, I'm tired, you know, I'm tired of, and I'm tired of, I, I don't like feeling like I have to fit into that bubble to be even considered a composer. Yeah. Like for me to say, I'm a composer, you have to fit into that bubble. And that's, that's not really, I don't think that's a, that's a good way to, to kind of, you know, sustain music. So are you more, on, are you more on the side of folks building their own things and creating their own infrastructures or or storming the concert hall so to speak and and forcing it to shift toward more people having more access to more things you know i, I personally i i just I, I can't ever be comfortable with the idea even if we have all built our own institutions and and systems of doing that are aside from the traditional orchestras i don't like the idea of of that just existing and and uh, being Bach and Brahms and Beethoven mm -hmm. forever, I I want that to change as well as building you know the 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 independent things, which forces me to be more on the side of transforming the orchestras as much as I support 
independent grassroots, you know, non-institutional things. All, sure. of, all of that to ask you, what side of the fence do you feel like you lean on more? I definitely lean on the uh, grassroots. Mm -hmm. Start. I mean, as as tempting as storming the concert halls is. I mean, and I'm I, always I just, since the insurrection, I'm, I'm careful about my language. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I I thought about it for a second, and then I was just, just like, you know, it it would be satisfying to see that, but that's not. That's not what you're here to do. It, what would I mean? Is there a solution for that? Is there? A, I mean, I've, I, I, in my in my brain, what I see is making it where it's if 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 the folks that pay for these things, mm. yep, see an opportunity, then maybe that would be a way to transition it and and kind of phase these things in together because there's no i don't i don't think that we would ever be able to completely eliminate that style and that kind of way of thinking mm -hmm. about orchestra but i think it would be a good way to say okay this is great but let's you know let's get with 2022 yeah you know let's let's kind of there's a, there's 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 so much really cool stuff out there that can be done it's so interesting that you're mentioning the the money because it it, it takes me back to the military and in, in your role as a military musician there wasn't a board of trustees that were writing no. the checks there you know it was the money was not a part of the conversation so maybe that has a lot to do with how dynamic your musical career was in the military and how undynamic music is in the concert hall these very days. true very true because it's all about it's all about what can you know it it, it as much as we don't want it to be that, it comes down to where the money's at. Mm -hmm. And military music was, I mean, we we did have, we had those limitations and it came from, you know, the the superiors saying, okay, we don't like this music. We like this music or we don't like this. We'd mm -hmm. rather have that. Um, and I think that when I joined, it was kind of a good time because they were transitioning. They were starting to kind of accept more more of you know what was what was being played and what was being heard mm -hmm. and i think that i think that that was that was kind of that was the limitation that was kind of the equivalent to money but it wasn't it wasn't on that scope on that scale yeah you know what i mean i feel like us going you know the 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 navy band going in and setting up a big band we had all of the equipment we had all the instruments we had the people like we would get paid for food all of that was taken care of so yeah. we could just go set up in a parking lot and and, mm -hmm. and play this music so i mean in a way it was cool that it was it was accessible like in that aspect but you know there it was still it was still hey you know we we have to make these people happy sure for them to let us to you know keep going out and a lot of times it was you know okay let's just kind of be quiet about it and <laughs> then we'll you know yeah so yeah, it was. Um, it it just seems like it's all it's all about who who wants to pay for it. And if if it if it was something where we showed that okay, this is this is this is, this is a something that can happen, and this is something that people will want to consume. Yeah, you know, consumers will want to come and do that. Then the money maybe will come. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think we have a long way to go when it comes to orchestras reframing the money toward reframing. Yeah what they present and the role they play in society. But, you know, there are certain areas in which orchestras and the orchestral industry, I'd say the broader Western classical music industry is 
alleging to transform or wanting to transform. And, and of course, this has uh, manifested in what people know as DEI. And, and we, we've talked about, we talked about off mic, my issues with those three letters. It's more about branding these days. DEI is more of a brand than an initiative mm-hmm. or, an, or an action step. Um, and to that conversation, you know, I wanted to bring up something that you said on social media that tickled me so bad that I, I had to make sure that the folks here heard. You said that <laughs> orchestras prefer their white male composers dead. Say more. What, 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 what's behind that? <laughs> we're just, we're just, we're so, we're so behind. <laughs> we're stuck. We're stuck on this, on this, this idea that people, you know, we've been told that these, this is, this is classical music. This is real classical music. This is what, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. We're stuck in this bubble where it just, it just, you have to be a, a, a dead you have to be dead yeah <laughs> to ever become you know a well-known composer like it's 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 almost that you can't even consider yourself a composer if you're still breathing you know and it's it's it doesn't it shoots us in the foot you know we have no there's no, where do you go after that you know what i mean i mean because and, i think because i understand uh, obviously the spirit behind uh diversity as a concept or equity as a concept in in orchestral spaces at the same time when you go to a typical concert performance and you know you have your insert western european overture insert western european concerto insert your beethoven symphony which it is more often than not you're still marginalizing living composers even the living composers who are white males mm-hmm. It seems like there's a nuance or a, a flip to that conversation that needs to happen to just remind people that living composers in general are marginalized and uh, the allegations of moving away from uh, Rachmaninoff and Schubert and those folks has, you know, thrown thrown the baby out with the bathwater, thrown the white living white male composer out with the bathwater, so to speak. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And that could be an uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's a necessary one. It is. Know? It is. It is. There needs to be room. I mean, it, it, they have to be given the opportunity to, 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 you know, make these new steps, you know, as composers. I mean, it, it's, we can't even get past the, the living part, you know, much less past any, anything else to, yeah. to progress as, as, you know, a society and as, as, you know, composers and as creatives. Yeah. You know, we're so and it's 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 just crazy that we we're so stuck with this and we we want to we want to promote we want to promote music. We want to promote music education, but we're we're not given anything after that Mm -hmm. to kind of to kind of hold on to because we're so stuck with this, you know, this old way of thinking. And I I won't be completely uh, a yes man for you right now, because at the same time, I do also have to consider the fact that there are certain privileges even within a community of living composers that some people have and some people don't. So, you know, the conversation is very nuanced. It's not a black and white conversation for lack of a better uh, term. But with that in mind, I wonder how you think about uh, concepts like inclusion and concepts like equity as a white male who's trying to make it for yourself and you have a family to contribute to. <laughs> sure, you know. sure. It's um, necessary. It's absolutely necessary. I think that another piece that's missing is culture, hmm. is these different points of view. I mean, what is music in the first place? Sure. You know, 
you have all of these all of these different genres and all of these different different things that came from other things mm-hmm. you know why should it not be the same for this and it's it's absolutely necessary to include that i mean we're just we're limiting ourselves so much you know we already do it with you know just promoting dead composers much less you know adding this other this other element that you could be getting so much you know so much creativity and so many different things and that's that's always been what i mean that's what being a creative is about Mm -hmm. is creating you're creating something new you know versus just repeating what we've done which it seems like that's that's kind of we we like to just repeat and repeat and repeat and just because maybe we're comfortable with it maybe we're you know we don't we don't know how to how to get away from it but i mean anything anything great has come from you know either discomfort and it's it's come from different different cultures and different backgrounds i mean mm-hmm. I, I think i think jazz you know that's jazz and blues that's something that's look at the history of that and where that came from and how amazing it is you know yeah. and we wouldn't have been able to do that if if we didn't have this this kind of melting pot right you know and right. it, it's something that that's more american than i yeah. think anything i like else. to say salad bowl yeah salad bowl yeah. works too i like salad bowls too um but yeah i mean that's 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 the we talk about you know american and and you know what is american music and what is you know what is it and that's what it is yeah you know and we're 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 kind of we're kind of cutting ourselves off at the you know at the ankles when when, it, when you, it comes to that when you you know throw that word culture into the mm-hmm. conversation you're you're having me you know think back to southern georgia you know oh, yeah. the folks that live down there are not like the folks you know from the hood i'm no. from at the same time they're probably equally marginalized when it comes to the orchestral space, to composition. You know, they're yeah. they're just as likely to not want to go hear Beethoven as the folks from where I live. From your view and your perspective, what are the shifts that need to happen or or what are the tools that composers like you need to have for these institutions to engage those folks? You know, what is it that they need to uh, or that they want to hear how how can they be served i think that there's um there's a lot of levels to that in my like kind of from my point of view mm-hmm. um and i was i was thinking about this on the way over uh and where music is now we don't know how to listen mm. we don't know how to listen to music so when we hear what's on the radio or what's just kind of put in front of our face you know you pull up spotify or whatever they they they're tell they're basically telling you what to listen to. Yeah. We don't know what we're listening to. We just know, hey, this must be a great song. So music education is something that, you know, might help kind of bridge that gap and knowing, knowing, okay, this is a great piece of music. You don't have to know the ins and outs of it. You don't mm. know how you don't have to know how it was written, but you know how to appreciate, like, okay, this is a beautiful piece of music. This is a great piece of music. It's well written. You know, you know at least enough to to be able to determine that. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is accessibility. I think that if we made it more accessible, and like what we were we 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 talked about this earlier, like making it where it's you know these these smaller formats and um, making it where it's you don't have to go to a huge concert hall. You don't have to do you don't have to jump through all these hoops. You don't have to spend you know three or four hundred dollars to get you know to get to a show. Yeah, I don't think you should have to do that. You know, because it, it's 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 art. It's subjective, and it's it's for everybody. 
you know anybody should be able to come and, and and enjoy music and to a degree you can with how you know like I said, spotify but you you're still you're still being fed you know certain things you still see kind of what it's it's what gets paid for sure you know you 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 get you get what spotify tells you it wants you to 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 listen to mm-hmm. so i think i think there's you know there's there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of layers there that can that all need to they all need to kind of play a part right yeah so and being being more accessible and being able to you know kind of understand what 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 it takes to make a piece of music yeah i'm gonna spend some time chewing on that because you know that that idea of not knowing how to listen to music um Mm -hmm. one of one of the you know great black leaders of the past whose words I always return to is James Baldwin. And at one point he wrote a short story where he said, people very rarely listen to music. They're actually taking their baggage or their experience, even how they're feeling that day and applying what they're hearing to that and not necessarily actually hearing what a musician, a composer, a music maker has to say. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, what do you have to say when it comes to the music that you create and the music that you want more people to hear? Is is there a general message? Is there a hope? Is there a call to action? I don't think there's necessarily a call to action um, with my with what I write. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that I write is kind of how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 what's playing in my head. And kind of the ideas that I have in my head, I I almost feel like if 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 a person interprets it a little bit differently, I'm cool with that. Okay, you know that's cool. Yeah, um, it's almost like going down the rabbit hole, and yeah. that's that's the last my the the EP that I just released. I that was that was about the the most you know spot on description of how it was writing that. It was just it was going down the rabbit hole, and if anything, it was it was a bit more selfish because I was I was really trying to figure out what you know what did i want to say yeah what am i trying to do what is my goal yeah like what did i have you know in my head and that was that was the whole the whole point of that yeah which is 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 maybe kind of selfish but at the same time it's you know it's subjective it's it's if a person hears something else out of that piece of music then i'm i'm you know totally cool with that yeah whatever 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 this person thinks of it you know yeah i'm just i'm thrilled you know if you listen to my music i mean that's 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 kind of an honor to me so and and we're all going to listen to uh an excerpt of it here uh (laughs) shortly but but before i ask you to offer some context uh for the piece of music the excerpt that i'm going to share um how can folks learn more about you and uh and support your work i think like most up incoming composers were very easy to find <laughs> sure. well, I, I am one google search away greg leggett um i have a website gregleggett.com i'm on spotify you can find my music on every major platform so it's very very easy to find you can follow me on instagram you can follow me on facebook however whatever whatever you want to do however you want to get to it and i also have so. to ask before we get into your music because i, I so infrequently uh, get to engage military musicians. What What are your words to the seventeen year old who has a a trombone in his hand or a flute and a, a flute in her hand or whatever, and they're thinking about the military route? They aren't sure. What What are your words for those folks? 
the military ban was a fantastic idea. I'm not here to promote it in any way. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I think that you need to make up your mind on your own, but I don't think that you need to feel like you should be rushed to make that decision. Uh, the Navy ban was the best decision for me at the time, and I still don't regret it. There was a whole lot of positives to it, but I think it's like everything else. You, you, you take what you can get from it. You know, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, great. It's yeah. not permanent, right? And it's, I mean, you, and if you come at it from the approach of, you know, learn what you can out of everything. You know, if, if, if you're writing a piece of music, if you're performing, if you're, you know, whatever, whatever your path is, as long as you're learning something from that to take forward and to, to take with you, then that's, that's, that's what matters. It doesn't matter how you get there. You know, if you get to the same point, then that's, you know, what else is there? If you get to the point where you can, you know, perform this piece of music or, or write an amazing, you know, composition, then, you know, how you got there is how you got there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's your story. Yep. Make up your own mind. Make those are mind. those are radical words yeah. from a military man, at least from my <laughs> perspective. So, so we're going to listen. Uh, one of your latest tracks is called "Flight from Chaos." Uh, talk to me about that title and offer some context for the folks as we listen to a bit of it here. "A Flag from Chaos" is uh, I, I wanted it to kind of be just that, have a little bit of of of, of chaos. Um, the entire EP was the 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 goal of it was to kind of throw the kitchen sink at it um i i've i've been over the past two years i've been kind of overwhelmed you get overwhelmed with all the tools that you have when you you think about computer technology and and you know music technology the way it is now you can any 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 sound any instrument anything that you want you can get it so I really wanted to just kind of it's almost like I threw a dartboard at the wall to see what I was going to add into this into this mix. Um, so it's 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 plenty of, you know, kind of classical orchestral pieces, but it's also tons and tons of sound design and synthesizers. And that was that was the whole goal is how much can I put into this? And it was almost like going down the rabbit hole. You know, let's just let's just start and see what happens. There, a flight from chaos I by like Greg Leggett. I'll have his website in the description, and I hope everyone will uh, reach out about getting his music programmed, uh, getting it uh, hopefully performed, and just show some love for our living composers, uh, all these folks that we're we're really fighting for to get in into these spaces. I want to uh, before we get into the trilogy, Scott. I want to return to the point. Uh, that one of the one of the points that we hit on again, Greg saying the institutions prefer their male composers, white male composers dead. One of one of my evolutions in this conversation, and of course, you know, race, racial equity is always going to be at the front for me. Right. When we talk about representation and who's in the who's in the room, who's at the table, when we draw these identity lines that in, in many cases, I think are, are very relevant. I think we also need to have the conversation about why some of these conversations are important. So, you know, for example, if we have 
a young black composer whose parents happened to be billionaires. They had every opportunity and here they are. That's not quite the same, in my opinion, as and maybe I'll get hate for this. That's not quite the same, in my opinion, as the white male composer who had to find his way and, you know, did did what he had to do to make it up. Just like, you know, many of these other marginalized people who don't have the uh, the means or the, the family support or, or whatever you want to fill in. I think once we get once we start talking about the why connected to race and gender as far as uh, the marginalization of composers, we can identify ways in which we can bridge that gap as mm. not to say, okay, mm. nobody white in the room as much as we're saying, sure, this is an opportunity for those who, who didn't have the same opportunities along the way. You know, right. that's the definition of equity. Those, those, those outcomes that are, that are equal, not the, not necessarily the, the starting point. I don't know. I also think about the fact that the industries that are still predominantly white, certainly in the arts have a lot of folks who are not women and who are not people of color who are leading the conversation. I mean, you are the prototypical middle-aged white male working in classical radio and yet i feel like you are pushing the needle in a way that most folks aren't and that's not so so if so if we move you out of the way you know how many steps backwards or how many non-steps forward are are happening i don't know i i think in in the way that you know i, I think about evolving this conversation towards some actual change if we can begin to not erase the race lines and invalidate those conversations, but just apply them and apply that why I think we can determine the spaces in which the white males, the the cis white males, the folks who have always been there, how they can actually be a part of this conversation, how we can identify those who also deserve the step up and identify those who were doing the work mm -hmm. along the way, who have mm -hmm. been there for 30 years, like, like you have. Yeah. Since rocks were soft again. <laughs> um, thank you for saying that but also understand that there are other people out there there are the stations there are orchestras and ensembles that are doing this work and you know we don't hear about them because they're not in national news right yeah so i wanted i do want to s s say that if i were removed from the equation rest assured that there are other middle middle-aged white men and women who are doing similar things I don't know what degree because to what degree because I have to keep my head down mm -hmm. and focus on what's on my plate. Right. Otherwise I'll I won't get anything done. I'm I'm encouraged to hear you say that you see that there are other folks out there because I don't know if I can this podcast is called Triloquy. A lot of the conversations that we have make it seem like when it comes to certain things, you're standing alone or you're or you're really having to push extra hard for the point to right. be understood and made, more so than than many of the folks in your surroundings, at least some of them. Sure. You know? Right. Um let me let me just say that I am hopeful that there are other white middle-aged men and women that are doing the work i don't want to i don't want to assume that i'm the only one yeah. or you know nothing like that so and and in the spirit of equity we still need to put to the front those who have not always been to the front so if if you have an all-white staff an all-white orchestra an all-male something 
that has to shift mm -hmm. because those are bridges that need to be uh, 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 built between your institution, your projects, and the communities that that you want to you want to reach. It's a nuanced conversation, um, and I'm, sure. I'm I'm just trying to find every way to. <laughs> To nuance. Get, get the work done. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into this final movement. Last week, in response to the Brittany Griner saga, I tweeted, boycott Russian music. How'd that go for <laughs> and you? The, and the reactions were mixed. We're going to get into <laughs> this final movement with one of my favorite uh, pieces of Russian classical music. It's the second movement of Shostakovich's Symphony Number no. 1. And we're going to unpack it just a little bit. Here's a here's a bit of that to get us there into the trilogy. I could really nerd out for a long time talking about the meaning of some of the rhythms and the aesthetics and the history of the Soviet Union and Stalin as it relates to the composer and this composition, especially for this being his first symphony. If 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 you want to nerd out and do all that, I'll take you out to a drink and we can do that. But I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to talk about any of that right now. What I want to get to is the fact that there is a lot of music by Russian composers that I love you know and Shostakovich is just one of, of those composers I'm also thinking of a composer uh whose name is uh Rodion Shredrin I don't know if you've heard of uh Shedrin but he's Maybe. he's another one of my favorite uh Russian composers so I I have music that I like from from that category at the same time when I have to sit here in the studio and and watch the news and see Brittany Griner, and if you don't know who Brittany Griner is, please catch up. Go Google her right now. Uh, make her plea in this foreign land where, at the end of the day, she did nothing wrong. It's not like it was something violent. Happen. We're talking about one vape pen, um, and even if we were talking about fifty vape pens, nine years in jail for that. I that that's that's unjust. And you know we're we're recording this on what's the day date uh, August ninth. So I have seen some headlines about still the possibility of a prisoner swap or whatever. We'll we'll see what happens there. It's so hard for me to even think about being in a position of programming and giving major room, especially in a live concert space, to any Russian piece of music, considering the Britney Griner situation and what's continuing to go on in Ukraine. This isn't about villainizing Russian individuals or Russian music. 
when we talk about connecting this music to today and affirming people and affirming experiences, I feel like there will always be something else to put in the place for the sake of what's going on in our time. I understand how boycott Russian composers may come across as one way or another. At the same time, as much as I love Shostakovich's music, there are a plethora of other compositions that may help inspire the conversation that we need to have when it comes to what's going on in Russia, to raise awareness around folks like Brittany Griner, to help people continue to keep to the front of their minds the tragedies that are going on in Ukraine, because it's not on the, it's not a headline every single day, every single morning, no. like it used to be, right? So that can be our opportunity to continue that conversation forward. This is my question, Scott. What, where, where does the pushback come from? Why do we absolutely need Tchaikovsky? and Shostakovich in these spaces, considering what's going on. What are we really losing by sitting uh, Stravinsky or Rimsky-Korsakov to the side for the sake of a Ukrainian composer or a black woman composer that'll help us talk about Brittany Griner? I don't think it's, it's wrong to consider that, to consider sitting the Russian music to the side for a little while so that we can shine an extra light on what's going on in the world and to highlight how classical music can help us shine that light on, mm -hmm. on what's going on in the world. From the radio perspective, I can tell you that um, it would kind of have a, a cut your nose to spite your face, sort of. Okay. Uh, I mean, I get where you're coming from, I do, but at, at the same time, I don't think that any of these composers that you're talking about would have cheered Brittany Griner's imprisonment. Um, and for the people who say, you know, these are the, these penalties that she's facing are too harsh. Have you seen what we have here in the States? Right. It's a, it's a woman, a black woman in Mississippi serving life for we. So, um, yeah, I don't get where that dissonance is coming from for some people. And we know that this is racially motivated. Of course. Because there's news stories out about uh, just uh, not too long ago, a white woman was caught with far more, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what, what do they call the vape cartridge? The cartridges caught with like 20 of them yeah. and got two months. So we also know that this is being a, used as a political ploy. They're trying to get one of their arms dealing dudes mm -hmm. in exchange for, you know, so they're going to say, ah, look, you want to send her away for nine years and deal with the fallout? Yeah, so uh, I don't I don't know I I just I don't know what I don't know what it achieves. I mean I I understand that you're giving up the platform for a Ukrainian composer or a, yeah. an American woman or something like that. Um, uh, I get it. I'm just not there with you yet. Sure, sure. That that's what I have on that. I, mm -hmm. I and and I recognize that there are even living Russian composers, li living women Russian composers who were throwing out and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, in the similar way where, where I was talking with uh, with Greg back in the third movement. You know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater as far as white composers. You know, and and the living wh white male composers still to a degree being marginalized and disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. What whatever. You know, I, I get all of the nuances of that conversation. I'm not there to pretend that the Brittany Griner situation did not particularly bother me in a, in a particular way. I mean, I just knew that 
something will pull through. I mean, let's, let's, you know, uh, we talked about leading with that compassion. Let's put ourselves in her shoes. You know, you got to run to Russia, you're packing your bags and I don't, I don't, you know, and, and let me, you know, this is not in conjunction with anything I've heard about her situation or whatever. I'm not, you know, postulated. I'm just saying you're packing your bags. You forget that there's a cartridge in your pocket. Fast forward to you pleading for your freedom from inside of a cage, mm -hmm. you know, on global TV and to hear a judge say nine years. OK, put put yourself in those shoes. I, I put myself in those shoes. Mm -hmm. And in thinking about that, it is just so hard for me as a free person to not consider what it would look like to just take all the Russian music and make sure in its place we're raising awareness about what's going on. How do, how do we compromise? How do we find middle ground in, in that conversation? I, I guess it's the dialogue at the, at the end of the dialogue. And if the dialogue is well-spirited, you get somewhere at the same time, you know, while we're sitting out here talking and debating whether or not X, Y, and Z should be platform, we, we have, we have children in, in Ukraine losing their lives and running for their life and being traumatized. We have Brittany Griner in jail while, while all of that's happening. I, I guess I just at least want the industry to acknowledge these things more to the front and not just, sweep it to the side as only a conversation to be mm -hmm. had, only dialogue to be had, because there there are people's lives. There, there are actual lived experiences behind all of this. Mm. Um, I wanted to quickly close out this week um, watching the news before I went down to Florida, and there was a shooting in the Mall of America. I'm sure you, you saw that. Mm -hmm. Del, Del and I are at, at the mall semi-often, I, I would almost say regularly, and I and, and I just have to say, you know, I'm I'm done as much as nuance we talk about in certain conversations. I'm done with the nuance of the gun conversation. Hand handguns are illegal in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, if if it upsets people that I think handguns should be illegal here in the United States as well, I'm sorry. That that's just where I am on that. What 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 would anyone do? What what would you do? You're seeing that news story and me and dill happen to be there and you know something something tragic happens is there a nuanced conversation you want to have with somebody no at that point no okay that's what i'm thinking about i'm trying to lead with that compassion and think about the lived experience of these people who are being traumatized while we're stuck at the conversation it, we, we have to get into action and we have to I, I wrote an article about this last week we have to be ready to to draw that line as i was talking uh, we were talking about last week we have to be ready to walk off the stage when some damn nazi paraphernalia is hung up mm -hmm. we have to be ready to say okay how about you cancel my contract when we sign on with an organization that has deeply marginalized the music of people of color um and and women composers and and and, and if not cut ties at least foreground always you know pushing the needle and making sure that someone is getting on your nerves you know if if when we're talking about changing systems and and changing the way things are going if somebody is not tired of you <laughs> you're not really doing the work. You're not really standing against the grain. You know, you're kind of swimming, you know, upstream sometimes, but spending most of the time going along with it. Get on somebody's nerves this week. Get to the point where someone is saying, <laughs> fine, we'll play X, Y, and Z. Are you happy? And then that's when you say, for now. thank you. Very right. For now. Thank you very much. We'll talk again tomorrow. And as far as this is concerned, we'll talk with y'all again next week. Have a great one.